Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. All right, turn to your neighbor, give him a high five. If you want to, you don't have to. You guys excited to be here today? All right, turn to your other neighbor and uh, say hello to them as well. Say hello. All right, on the count of three, everyone say, go Broncos. Boise State, come on, did you guys watch that game yesterday? To God be the glory, right? Man, we love the Boise State Broncos. Are you guys good today? Awesome, awesome. I just want to uh, just say uh, several things. Thank you for uh, the pastor's appreciation thing. That was a surprise to all of us pastors. Uh, But to be honest, the real heroes are our staff. They are absolutely incredible what they do. And I just want to thank all of our volunteers from our media team to our worship uh, team to our our uh, volunteers who work in kids ministry, to our, our ushers and greeters, to our security team. We got a world-class security team. Like if something should happen, it won't, right? Amen. It's just, they're so good at what they do. And so uh, we're so blessed with all the wonderful volunteers. Church, can we thank them for uh, all that they do? And I have to just agree with my father, Pastor Ken, that yesterday's memorial service for Gail was probably one of the greatest memorial services I've ever been to. And I just want to let all the Martinez family know we love you so much. And it was so powerful, Kim, how you organized everything and just you honored your mom and uh, her faith is now sight. And so I just want to say that I love you guys so much. And then having Steve, who, if you don't know, was my first friend in Idaho when we were seven, we were in, in first grade together, and uh, he got up and he shared just his heart. It was very moving, and as he paid tribute to his, his mother, and uh, I just want to thank all of you, Steve, Joe, um, uh, Christy, Kim, the whole family, Henry, we love you so much, and uh, we will continue to keep you in our prayers, and so we're here, we're family, amen. So, um, so today... As I mentioned last week, we're going to be talking about something uh, pretty big. It's called intercession. So we've been in our message series on prayer. And uh, as we talk about intercession, I think for some of us, it might feel like being thrown in the deep end of the pool or having your head dunked underwater without knowing how to swim. When I was four years old, I had a swim instructor. We live in Portland. Uh, I didn't know how to swim. He looked like Magnum P.I. I grew up in the 80s. Big mustache called a mustache man. First swim lesson, he took me, threw me in the pool, and then he dunked me twice underwater. And ever since then, I've, I've you know, I blacked out. I don't know what happened. Um, but uh, it was one of those intimidating experiences. I think a lot of people um, feel the same way with intercession, right? That big, big kind of fancy word when it comes to prayer. And I think one reason is that prayer and even much more so intercession for many in the church conjures up the images or the image of a spiritual uh, heavyweight, like who fights or takes authority over the cosmic spiritual powers. Like the guy who gets up on the mic, maybe on a Sunday, he inflects his voice and he talks like, I'm, we're going to go after hell itself today, right? And I think many people are like, well, Chris, that's, that's not me, right? Well, intercession is not necessarily that, um, but what I suspect for many followers of Jesus, uh, when it comes to being intimidated with intercession, and for that matter, prayer, is that at the bottom of it, there's a profound sense of being ineffective in prayer, which I think dominates most of our consciousness. We feel powerless when we pray. When we pray, it feels like it's just hitting the ceiling. Have you ever felt that way before? Some of you have felt like, ah, man, it's just awkward. Like, who am I praying to? And, ah, man, it's just like, I feel like I'm not connected. I don't feel inspired. Have you ever felt that way? I'm apparently the only guy that's ever felt that way one time in prayer. Okay. I I think we all kind of have this uncomfortable relationship with prayer. We all, let's be honest today, we all struggle with prayer. 
Now, as I define prayer over the last uh, few weeks, prayer is entering into this interactive conversation with the Trinitarian community of infinite love and delight. And for some of you, that sounds intimidating, right? But it's the most amazing experience that you can ever have. But none of us are totally consistent with our prayer life. We struggle with prayer. Life happens. Uh, we struggle with getting our lives together. We, we, we sin, some of you more than others, especially if you're a Niner fan. So dirty. But we struggle, right? Anybody struggle this week? Right? We struggle with life. Um, many of us are pathologically busy. Some of you don't like football, and we will pray for your soul, right? Some of you are like, how's that related to what I'm talking about? It has, it's not related to anything that I'm talking about today. Um, but the majority, and this is a poll that came out a couple years ago, and I think it's actually worse today. The majority of Americans are chronically exhausted. And so I think they would admit in their honest moments that prayer is, has been marginalized in their life and they, they live exhausted lives. Their spiritual life is more um, oblivious or seemingly oblivion, uh, a void, than it is filled with life and joy and peace. I think many of us will go home, and I, I, this is not to shame anybody or to bring judgment on anybody, but many of us go home at night just exhausted, plumb exhausted, and we medicate, we self-medicate, not with prayer or being with Jesus, but with Netflix or movies or YouTube, and those things are good. I'm not saying they're necessarily bad, unless you're making, you know, it just depends on the show that you're watching. Ted Lasso, don't do it, okay? But... You see, I, I think we're in a unique moment in human history where God's calling his people, his church, to commit to intercession. So we are, yes, we're, we're chronically exhausted, we're pathologically busy. Some of us are trying to figure out how to carry our life or make sense of our life. And I think if we're not careful, we tell ourselves that we can't swim, we can't even swim. If, or if we can't even swim in the shallows of petitionary prayer or have a consistent prayer life, how is it logical that we can jump today into the deep end of the pool of intercession? And I want to address that concern, and then I want to get into just the definition of what intercession is, and then we'll talk about our teaching passage here today out of Exodus 32. Of course, there are many other objections people have or they raise with intercession, not the least of which that intercession is an invitation to go full weird, right? If you've been in church long enough, I'm sure you, you feel this. It's kind of feel uh, that, that many people have growing up in a church kind of like ours. This is probably an extreme example, but for some people, intercession is like a Pandora's box for um, esoteric or cultic activity, right? It's like, for example, one week you're talking about intercession. The next week, we're all a cult community um, handling stakes in, in a compound in West Texas, Sometimes that's how people feel or what they think about um, intercession. So why is intercession, Chris? Why then is intercession so important? Why should I do it? Well, let me just say this really quick. If you care about anything, anybody care about anything? If you love somebody, if, if you're moved by something, anybody moved by something? Right, if you're moved by maybe your passion for justice, maybe you're moved by this radical sense of beauty in this world, maybe you're moved by, I don't know, just your desire, your insatiable desire for people to know the truth. How many of you think that's a good thing? Right? Some of you are so tired of the incoherent language games that we're playing in our culture, and you're moved by that. Some of us, man, if you're angry about such and such, right, um, uh, that means you probably care about certain things, right? Ontologically, if you're alive, if you have a pulse, if any of that makes sense, if you care, if you love, if you're moved, if you're frustrated, if you're, you have a pulse, if you're alive, that means that movement is basically the driving force of intercessory prayer. If you have a pulse and you're concerned about something, you are called to intercessory prayer. So what is, what is intercession? Intercession is really basic. It's petitioning God, not for myself, but on behalf of someone else or something else. It's prayer. Everyone say prayer. It's prayer for that family member who uh, struggles with a debilitating addiction, right? 
It's a prayer over that legislative policy that instantiates an anti-God sediment. Intercession is petitioning. It's simply petitioning God on behalf of someone else or something else. And you can intercede throughout the day. You don't have to intercede for 10 straight hours to be called an intercessor. The New Testament uses a word for intercession, which means to appeal or to plead or to um, literally call upon someone. Sometimes the Bible calls intercession standing in the gap. Have you heard that language before? Spiritual authorities and writers and thinkers, the Desert Fathers, the Patristic Fathers, uh, the medieval uh, reformers, all have said over the centuries, they have defined intercession, we'll say it this way, as standing at the intersection of heaven and earth on behalf of someone else, especially one who cannot stand for themselves. For example, when I was in high school, I was a junior, and uh, we were in eastern Idaho. And we were playing, I think we were playing, it was a doubleheader, and uh, it was Saturday, we were the number one team in the state, and uh, we were having a rough game. We were, it was at halftime, and we were down by 20. And this team, we should have been dominating eastern Idaho, pray for them, okay? Uh, Their crowd is interesting. But it was, man, the refs, hometown referees, you know what hometown referees are? Okay, so they called four fouls on me in the, in the first half, and uh, two of them were right, but they were objectively wrong on the, on the last two. So beginning of the third quarter, I uh, went for the ball, and we'll get into it, but it was an objectively bad call. It should have been a jump ball, but the ref looked at me, had a problem with a redhead, and he called, he called a foul on me, which was my fifth foul. Well, I don't remember everything. I sort of blacked out after a while, but I started... A conversation with the referee. We call this lose your mind on the referee. And so uh, it got to the point, it, it escalated to the point where half of our bench got onto the court and the other team, I think it might have been Pocatello, they were um, ready to fight. I was ready to fight. Um, my coach had to grab me. He hugged me. Do you remember this? And pulled me off the court. I was so frustrated because it was such just a bad call and we pray for them. Eastern Idaho is weird. We, we love them. We love them still. Uh, so I remember I got to the end of the bench and I have this, this towel over uh, my head and I was just again just so frustrated. Little did I know and I could hear the crowd. They're all going after me. They're chanting my name, my number. They're saying, using epithets, all that kind of stuff. Um, but little did I know that my mom and dad, I knew my mom and dad were in the crowd, but little did I know that they were right next to a couple that was going after me hard. And there was a particular woman that was saying things, I don't know what she was saying, but they were unkind things about me. And so my mom had enough of it. If you don't know my mom, she's the sweetest person on the planet. She loves everyone. She's so genuine. She's so petite. She's so nice, but she will kill you if she has to. <laughs> So it got to the point and uh, got to the point uh, that she stood up, looked over to this particular woman and said, I don't know if you know, but that number 20 is my son. And what you've been saying is absolutely wrong. He's a good kid and you're going to shut up right now. It gets better. It gets better. She doesn't shut up. She continues to say something about me. So my mom then said, okay, we can settle this outside. Lord have mercy. I love that story uh, because what, what, what was my mom doing? My mom was interceding for me. She was standing in the gap for her son. My mom, my petite, sweet little mom, as the crowds are jeering and mocking her son, is standing in between the voices that are mocking me, and she's standing in the gap, and she was saying, no, 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 you are wrong, and I think that is the heart of intercession. It's when we straddle heaven and earth and we come in agreement with the plans of heaven over our cities, over our neighborhoods. I, let, me, let me say this really quick as just, um, just an aside. I am so tired of the world telling us the story about the world. 
I'm getting to the point where like, I, okay, you can keep on telling your story. You can keep on you, you talking about yourself and your grand narrative, right, of sec- secular utopianism. I, I'm going to stick with the Bible and what the Bible has said and spoken over our story and over our history and over our future. But intercession is standing in the gap, especially for those who cannot stand for themselves. P. Gregg writes, It is an article of faith and consistent theme of universal Christian experience that sickness can be healed, curses broken, churches revived, communities shaped, catastrophes prevented, governments redirected, and the future formed by the simple power of intercessory prayer. So we come to Exodus 32, and this is where we're jumping into the deep pool, okay? So I hope we all can swim here today. I'll do my best to explain this very intimidating chapter. We could spend hours on this, but I'm just going to keep it really short. And many of you might have questions afterwards. You can um, email those questions to pastorken at hotmail.com. Yeah, but, yeah. But Exodus 32 illustrates intercessory prayer in a staggering fashion. Just think about that. Keep that, hold that theme in your mind as I kind of walk you through the passage that we read this morning, verses one through six. We have Moses. He's on the summit of Mount Sinai. Everyone say Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. Can I just nerd out a little bit on you? Okay, no. Uh, Mount Sinai is uh, a geographical. We got to see it from a biblical perspective. Mount Sinai is a geographical mountain garden tabernacle uh, whose summit is on fire. So the, in, in other words, you need to see uh, Mount Sinai, not just some arbitrary, weird, stranger things kind of thing. You need to see it as heaven and earth intersecting in strange ways and in fresh ways on the mountain summit. So Moses has ascended the summit. He is on, on the top. And it's very clear, and we're told that Moses is delayed for some time. It gets to the point where the people are confused. They don't know what has happened to Moses. So they start talking among themselves. They come up with a harebrained idea. Let's build our own gods. So they go to Aaron and they ask him to make, in the translation, make gods for them. Then we have an interesting segue. Aaron gives instructions to the people uh, to bring all their jewelry to him. And he fashions a golden calf in order for the people to worship this calf. He then proceeds to proclaim a feast. Everyone say a feast. A feast for the, the following day, which turns into a grand theater of sexual, keep this PG, sexual licentiousness. So this is worse than Amsterdam, Vegas, LA, Hollywood, all kind of com- combined. And again, I'm not trying to bring any judgment. I'm just saying this is, this is something you've never experienced before. And here we have the golden calf. Let me just say something really quick about the golden calf. The golden calf most likely was a bull. Everyone say a bull. A bull was a a totem symbol for Baal worship. And Baal was the god, the storm or fertility god in the ancient Near East. So this is none other. This building or constructing or fashioning of this golden calf is none other than a national act of defiance against Yahweh himself. So the first six verses gives us this crisis. As my professor tells me that this is analogous to newlyweds on their honeymoon, going on their honeymoon, wherein the groom decides to hire, keep this PG, prostitutes, and then leaves his new bride for a couple days and then comes back, confesses, and then says, so what? This isn't just like, ah, you know, they're just, they had a bad day. And decided to fashion a golden calf, and they were a little bit confused, right? We need to therapeutically connect with them. No, no, no. This is a national act of defiance against Yahweh himself. Let me just say something really quick about idolatry. I need to make this very clear. Idolatry and social injustice were the inside and the outside of the same thing. This is why when we we come to verses 7 through 10, God's response justifiably is what? It's anger. I wanted to spend like 20 minutes talking about anger, but we don't have enough time about this because we've misconstrued the anger of God and the emotions of God. And we'll talk about how God righteously and appropriately gets angry, but God is justifiably angry over this national act of defiance. Why? Because idolatry always is connected to the destruction of human life. I don't know about you, but God cares about every human life. So God's response is 
anger. And over the next 20 verses, we find something fascinating, uh, shocking for many people in the Western world. We see God processing his emotions with his friend Moses. I love this. God and Moses are having a tete-a-tete. And it's not Moses emoting, it's God emoting to Moses. Like, what's going on here? God certainly is not a moral monster. And Moses is certainly not in charge of manipulating the character of God. We know that God is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Come on, somebody. And faithfulness. And God's desire is to bless the world. But he's sharing his feelings, his emotions with his friend Moses. Let me say this really quick. God is not, and this is so important when it comes to prayer and intercession, God is not a non-communicative or impersonality. God is in relationship with Moses. We must remember that God has designed the universe around relationships. The universe is not a mechanistic, arbitrary construct of natural laws. Rather, it is more like a cosmic household that is deeply interactive, deeply relational. It's important for us to understand this. And this is the key or the central theme of intercession. Because God, are you hearing me this morning? Is relational. God invites Moses to become the focal point. This is just fascinating to me. To become the focal point wherein the tension of national defiance can find its resolution. So Mo- God emotes with Moses, his friend, because God's not a non-communicative imperson- impersonality. And then he invites Moses to intercede on behalf of golden calf worshipers. This is analogous to Republicans getting the heart of God and praying for Democrats. And it's also analogous because you Republicans were like, what? What about the Democrats? We're going there too. (laughs) And it's like a Democrat getting the heart of God and praying for Republicans. You know what's so frustrating? I I don't know if I'm going to talk long about this. I did uh, first service. But, but I think what's creeping in in the church, it's a slow creep, but I see it uh, as, as your pastor, and it's affecting the churches, the capital C church, I think, globally, and it has to stop, and it's this radical division. This radical division of, okay, what side are you on on such and such issues? And here's the thing. I was planning on saying this next week, and I'll probably say more about this next week. I am not asking anyone here to give up your truth claims. I'm not asking anyone here to give up your convictions about certain issues, unless they're entirely demonic. You hate children, we will address you. Right? If you hate races, we will address you appropriately by punching you in the face. Right? But our truth claims, right? Maybe even your political persuasion, your, your fundamental worldview, insofar as it's biblical, we're not asking you to give that up. What I'm asking you to give up is the sickness of the soul we call malice. Malice and disdain and contempt for the other side of my issue. You don't have to clap. No. I'm a big boy. But let me bring this full circle. What what is going on? God, Yahweh, is inviting Moses to become the focal point. This is just shocking. The focal point to bring resolution to the tension of this national act of defiance. So we come to verse 30, and this is what Moses says to the people, and then he moves into a conversation with Yahweh. He says this, I will ascend the mountain summit to plead, that's intercessory language, on your behalf. And then he then transitions and he talks to to Yahweh. Now, if you forgive their sin, but if not, blot me out, I pray, from your scroll. Is Moses deranged? 
Is he, is he, uh, is he having a psychological breakdown? Is he a masochist? These are golden calf worshipers. These are the Democrats that you, some of you love to loathe on. Or these are Republicans that you don't like. Or it's such and such, right? Your enemy. These are people that have acted in defiance against Yahweh and his order. And yet Moses, as an act of love, says, blot me out. This is the heart of intercession. Blot me out if you choose not to forgive them of their sin. Man, I don't see a lot of this in the church today. I see a lot of debate. I see a lot of apologetics. I see a lot of hate. The hate's not good. Apologetics is good. Debate is fine. But here's the thing. I don't see a lot of power in the church, a lot of spiritual authority in the church. And I think the reason is, is because we have no love in the church. In fact, I think we're living off of borrowed spiritual authority from generations gone by. Because when you substitute, substitute debate and apologetics for intercession in prayer, bye-bye power, bye-bye authority. So what is happening? In the words of one scholar, Moses, in verses 30 through 32, he is, in effect, calling upon God to forgive Israel. Remember, golden calf worshipers, by obliterating himself instead. Here, the essential nature of intercession is manifest. Intercession is not really prayer in the sense of making requests, but a plea that is also an act of self-giving love. So, Exodus 32 is most likely the dramatic height of the book of Exodus. Here we have Moses, and this is important for us to understand. Moses, in the context of a literary structure, is standing between two points. And I want you to follow really quick. And then we have a few takeaways, and I want to pray with you. Moses and his intercession from a literary perspective, is standing on behalf of the people. And he's standing, praying, and interceding for them between two realities. The first reality is that God had come to Moses to give him instructions on how to build the tabernacle. Then we have Exodus 32 and this national act of defiance. The tabernacle is not constructed. We then have these two points, if you're following with me, two points of instructions for the tabernacle and then the construction of the tabernacle. And what we have here is their inner meaning of the story and even the power of intercessory prayer, which becomes manifest apart. In other words, in, apart from Moses' intercession, there will be no tabernacle, which means there will be no cosmos filled with Yahweh's healing presence, which means there will be no future for the world. In other words, Moses is standing between the instructions of the tabernacle and the construction of the tabernacle, and he's in this crisis, in this impasse. If not for Moses... And his intercession on behalf of golden calf worshipers, there is no hope, there is no future, there is no history, there is no cosmos, there is no saving, there is no rescue, there is no people of God, there is no Jesus. Come on, somebody. I love this. Walter Wink. I know some people don't like him, but I love him, you know, and those people are weird. History. This is what he says in his words. History belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being. By means, he says this, by means of our intercessions, we veritably cast fire upon earth and trumpet the future into being. It's another way of saying we stand in the gap as we bring our petitions to God because we believe that God is intimately connected, involved in the world of space, time, and matter, right? 
So intercession, come on somebody, intercession can actually change things. Intercession has causal power that can bring those things which are not as though they are. Bringing the future into being, Chris, that's so weird. Go with me. So what's our takeaway here? There's two things I want to suggest that we think about today. Number one, God is looking for partners. God is looking for partners. And I think we know this in our bones. I think we feel it every day. I think we feel it not just on Sundays, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you feel this deep inside your soul that you're not called to live or to sit on the sidelines. Let me just say this really quick. This easygoing American complacency that we find creeping into the church about our world and about the brokenness of this world is as unchristian as it comes. The world doesn't care about the dysfunction. I'm going to be really honest with you. They exploit the dysfunction. And they create a narrative out of that dysfunction. And they want to tell you their own story predicated on their dysfunction. We have good news. The church cares deeply about the brokenness and the dysfunction that is disfigured creation. You see, as St. Augustine said a long time ago, without us, God will not. But without God, we can not. God is looking for partners. God has designed the universe in such a way where God doesn't exercise unilateral power. I wish he would. Get rid of all the cat people and the giant fan people, right? The giant fan, the giants, right? I love the giants, but the fans, they're a little bit weird, right? No, no, no. God does not exercise unilateral power. Rather, power, well, I'll say it this way. God wants to share his power with those who want to become a focal point of God-changing reality. Intercession or partnering with God in intercession is when God through us says no to the lies which have graffitied the minds of an entire generation. God wants partners. Everyone say partners again. God wants partners to work through in order that he can say to those things which are not, as I mentioned before, as though they are. God wants partners to bring life to dead things and to dead situations and to people that are walking around enslaved to inferior voices. God wants partners in order to change the mind, for some of you, of your roommate who is severely depressed and has contemplated suicide because of a profound sense of rejection. It is through your partnership and your intercession on her behalf that God comes and changes the neural pathways of her brain and brings peace and joy that she can never experience on her own. You see, God wants partners to release his healing presence into this world. Paul said it so clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We are God's fellow workers. We. Not just me, Paul. Not just Peter. Not just pastor. We. All of us. The church are God's fellow workers. The fancy term, and I won't use this again, is called collaborative eschatology. God has broken into human history, hence the story of eschatology. That's eschatology, a story about all about the end and how God breaks into our universe of dysfunction and brings life, joy, and peace through the death of his son and bodily resurrection of Jesus who ascended into heaven and is in charge of all things. The collaborative piece is God just wants us to participate with him. 
Jesus could have done everything by himself when he walked this planet, but he decided, I'm going to get 12 very flawed, very flawed disciples. And I'm going to work through them. I'm going to teach them how to pray. And I'm going to transform the world. So our takeaway is God wants partners. He wants to give you his heart. He wants you to enter into this interactive conversation with him. Where, yeah, you start to talk about yourself. But then as you get closer to Jesus and his heart, you, you get out of yourself. And you start taking your petitions and you start submitting them to your Father in heaven, and you begin to see reality transform and morph. Come on, somebody. As you pray to the God of space and time and matter who created all things. Number two, intercession. As we just talked about, it's the ultimate act of love. Intercession is the ultimate act of love. Obliterate me. Where did he learn that from? Did he learn, learn that from some moral monster we call Yahweh? Who's some meg, megalomaniacal, vengeful deity? No, no, no. He had been in the presence, the fiery presence of God. He was in that weird intersection of God's space and our space. He was in the presence of the Lord. He learned that from Yahweh. In fact, Moses is a narrative type of what we will see that anticipates Jesus dying on the cross for us. I don't know if you know this, but the death of Jesus on the cross is the ultimate act of not just love, but of intercession. In the words of Richard Foster, and this is so important, remember, intercession is the ultimate act of love. In the words of Richard Foster, he said this, if we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than it is within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer. Intercession, this is what he says, is a way of loving others. It's getting outside of ourselves and learning to give ourselves in prayer to our Father, especially when we realize that our energy is finite. Our resources are finite. I can't tell you how many counseling sessions I've been in when I have felt like my words were woefully inadequate and ex post facto leaving the counseling session. I remember go, many times going home and on my, my prayer, it was a prayer drive and I'm like, God, and I'm crying for this individual. I'm like, my words were inadequate, but I'm asking that you would take my feeble words and you would cast fire upon their mind and their soul and you would set them free from their addiction and their pain and their hurt and their suffering. Yes, words and counseling are so important, but man, prayer and intercession is where the power is. It's where the authority of God rests. I remember my father came to my wife and I as we transitioned. I'm going to close here. We transitioned my wife and I into the lead pastor role in 2016. And I think we're up on the stage and he came up to Kel and I and he said, guys, um, here's a secret. Here's a secret to leading any kind of church. And I thought maybe he would come up with, you got to get smarter or, you know, you just got to be with the people. All those are good things. But he said, Chris and Kel, you have to learn to carry the people in your heart. And it's funny, there's a grace to do that. Sometimes it can be a little overwhelming, but I don't know if you know this, you have a pastoral team every single day that carries you on their heart. We carry you. In the last few months, my wife and I, we have prayed so much together for you. We've named you by name. This has been a, I mean, you agree, this has been a really hard season for us. The sorrow, the suffering, the anxiety, the loneliness, the stories. I know the stories of so many in here that have been shaped by, by fear. And, and uh, I have seven kids and I have finite energy. I have no energy, okay? And there's so much, I wish, I honestly, I wish I could be with every single person, my wife and I, with you every single day, just loving and pastoring you, but we can't. But you know what? We have something greater. We have a wonderful community of people that, that we can talk about 
difficult issues. We have a wonderful group of staff members and pastors that we can come and serve and help you. And my wife and I will do our best once we get out of the season 10 years from now to be with you guys, right? But what we do have when our resources run thin, when our energy is no longer there, we have the greatest thing, the greatest power. It's called intercession. I can't tell you how many times. This last month, my wife and I go on, we've been on the green belt so many times, walking and naming you by name and contending for you. I literally would say, God, I don't have the words to say, but I'm partnering with such and such, and I am believing for their healing and their strength and their full restoration. God, I don't have the energy. I don't have all the resources. Yes, we're going to give and we're going to do as, as much as we can. But God, I just feel like what I'm doing is woefully inadequate. But I know that you are in charge of all things. I know with God, all things are possible. I know that God brings life out of dead things. Come on, somebody. God is the one. God is the one who casts fire down on creation, who defeats the powers, who remakes the human story, who rewires, come on, our, the neural pathways of our brain, who defeats the toxic, toxic strongholds that destroy our thinking, who rewrites, as we talked about last week, rewrites our generational dysfunction in our family history. I love it. That is the God that we serve. Intercession is ultimately an act of love. So finally, where do we start when it comes to intercession, Chris? We're going to bring this full circle. Well, it's just really simple. What makes, what makes you tick? What moves you? Some of you are talking about something over and over and over, and you're just like so frustrated. Like you're just like, oh, I just wish this thing would change. That could be a clue that that's the Holy Spirit putting something in your heart and rather than taking it back to him and the Trinitarian community of self-giving love who, let me just say this really quick. It is, how does Jesus, I got to say this, how does Jesus rule the world? How does the Trinitarian community, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit rule the world. They rule through intercession. I'm going to talk more about this next week. They rule through intercession. How does that work? God praying to himself. No, it's the Trinitarian community coming together and agreeing with their word. If you don't know this, Hebrews chapter 1 says this about their word. Their word sustains the universe. So they declare their word of healing promise over creation, over families, over nations, over neighborhoods, over peoples, over families, over kids, over moms, over dads, over families, over brains, over bodies, over histories, over future. And they come together and they say, yes. And they agree with that. And I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but intercession is getting caught up in that yes. It's getting caught up in that agreement with the Trinitarian community and their word of yes, not no, yes, over creation itself. So what do we do with intercession? Well, ask yourself this question this week. What moves you? What even maybe frightens you? What frustrates you? What have you been talking about all day long? What are you angry about? What, what, what do you love or who do you love that you're thinking about? Who do you care about? Those all can be clues or signs that the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, hey, come on. Come back to me. I know you're thinking about that person over and over and over and you don't even know why, but you have this sense of longing and sadness. That's a clue. Come back to me. Give it to me. I'll give you wisdom. And let's work together to bring healing. That is the heart of intercession. Intercession is not for the spiritual heavyweights. Intercession is not for the Mother Teresa's of this world. Intercession is not for the Pastor Ken and Connie's of this world. Intercession in prayer is not just for the pastors or the elites or the professionals or whatever, or the academicians. No, intercession is for everyone. If you have a pulse, if you're alive, God wants to give you his heart, and I am sure of it. You already have the heart of God. You just got to bring it to the surface it's there come on somebody it's there 
You just got to identify it, bring it back to God. And that is when God brings healing to our world. Bow your heads, close your eyes. I thank you, Father, for your grace today. Lord, we say yes to heaven. We say yes to your healing power over this church. Lord, as a pastor, the lead pastor of this church, my wife and I, we do this together. We declare over those whose neural pathways have fired around anxiety or loneliness or despair. Right now, as an act of intercession, I take authority over that in Jesus' name. I thank you that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Lord, I thank you that right now, as an act of intercession, can you just pray with me this morning? Is that all right? As an act of intercession, Lord, we pray for those whose histories, whose family has been defined by dysfunction, and they feel like they cannot get themselves out of that dysfunction. Lord, we take authority over that dysfunction. Lord, we take authority over the strongholds of the mind, and we thank you that whom the Son has set free is free indeed. So we say yes to your healing, flowing power in our midst this morning. Lord, we stand in the gap. I, as a lead pastor of the church, stand in the gap for everyone who is sick and broken. And we declare, Father, that you can heal the sick. Can I get an amen, church? We declare that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We come in agreement with the plan of the Trinitarian community of love and infinite delight. We agree with their plan of grace and salvation and rescue and hope and healing over this church and over this city in Jesus' name. Lord, I take authority over every curse. I thank you every curse, over every mind, over every individual, over every family, over every story is broken in the powerful name of Jesus. I thank you this community has incredible potential. I thank you that the dream of heaven would find its fulfillment in the Treasure Valley. So we say yes to your healing. We say yes to your plan. We say yes to your grace. We say yes to your power. We say yes to healing those who are enslaved to inferior voices. We say yes to those minds today. I even now speak to those minds of this generation that have been graffitied with lies. I just asked, just like an artist would come back and would, I don't know, repaint the minds of this generation. So much so that this generation would begin to see who God really is in Jesus' name. Lord, we lift up a generation of young people who do not know you. But I thank you that revival is about ready to happen. We say yes to revival. We say yes to a move of God. We say yes to a move of God in our schools, in our universities, in our political institutions, in our families, in the mighty name of Jesus. I see it. I see it. I see a generation coming back to you. I see a generation defined by therapeutic materialism, encountering the Holy Spirit, much like Paul on the road to Damascus. We say yes to heaven today in Jesus' name. Lord, I also say yes to your healing, to marriages. There are marriages that are on the rock. I know Kel and I, we talked about this earlier. Lord, I feel this in my heart right now. Marriages that are dysfunctional, They're at the brink of falling apart at the seams. Lord, we declare your healing, reconciling power over every marriage. I thank you healing to to husband's minds and wife's thinking. Lord, that communication would come back together. Lord, the temptation to, to do otherwise in accordance to your will. Lord, we take authority over that. Lord, we thank you that marriages would come together in Jesus' name. Lord, I also see those who do not follow Jesus no longer walking with him. But we thank you that you would call them back. 
prodigal sons and daughters coming back. I see it. Lord, we thank you that we're at a brink of a renaissance of healing and salvation and grace and power. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And I pray, lastly, as we close, I pray for broken bodies again. I declare broken bodies in this room would be made whole. By your stripes, we're made whole. Come on, church. By your stripes, we're made whole. By your stripes, we're made whole. Lord, today we're not trying to control outcomes. We're not trying to manipulate you. We're just simply coming in agreement with your plan. And Lord, I thank you those who mourn today, those who are suffering today, you would come and bring comfort and strength and fresh courage and hope in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, last week, Last, last week we prayed for, for those who had suffered through chronic issues, bodily issues, chronic pain. I had several people text me and call me and said that they were completely healed. God, without like sounding crazy Pentecostal, I'm going to say it. God is on the move. God is on the move. I still think God has plans for our nation. I still think that there's a great turnaround coming to our nation and to our politics and to our cultural zeitgeist. But I'm, I'm going to be honest, God wants partners. God is not looking for more preachers. God's not looking for more poets. He's not looking for more scholars. God is looking for those who will commit themselves to intercession. He wants more intercessors, and that's the call of heaven today. Will you come and agree with me for the healing of the nations? That's the heart of God. Will you come and agree with my yes over creation? So I'm done here, but if you want to open up your life. I'm a big boy, so you don't have to stand. I'm going to have you stand. You don't have to stand if you don't want this, but if you want to open your heart to this intercessory life of prayer and you want to commit your week, your months to praying, what does that look like, Chris? Well, it's just really simple. It could be you're on your uh, drive to work for five minutes. You start praying for your boss. I don't know what it is. It could be, man, you get a group of people, right? You guys have been talking about stuff. You've been really frustrated about maybe, I don't know, legislation or whatever, and you're just so frustrated. How about we turn that frustration into love, and we bring it to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and we start praying over those who we disagree with. I'm gonna, my goal, I'm going to talk more about this. I know we got to go because the Cowboys are playing. My goal is to make it hard for you to hate anybody. My goal, my goal is it's, it's get some of you, it, it's, it can only happen in prayer because you got to get the heart of God. Some of you, you have malice in your soul towards someone in authority on the other side of the political aisle. It's okay to disagree with them. It's not okay to have malice towards them. So we are going to be a community of generosity, of love, of justice, of beauty, of freedom, and intercession. And we're going to intercede for those in authority who we will probably consider our enemies. The Bible makes it very clear as I end. Jesus says, guys, guys, tax collectors who are hated in Palestine... 
they even love each other. So it's not, a, it's not enough just to love each other. That's not the true measure of love. The true measure of love is reflected in your Father who sends the rain and the sun on the just and the unjust. In other words, Jesus is calling us into enemy love. To love our enemies no matter what. And we do that by praying for them. Two things will happen. Your prayers will change reality. Prayers can change legislation. Prayers can change hearts. Prayers can change history and the future. But you know, prayer mostly changes you. Here's the thing, you think that guy needs change when in fact, as you go to prayer and pray for him, you realize that the whole time, the Holy Spirit was setting you up. He was saying, I wanted to change you and your heart and your mind. So if you want to say, yes, Chris, I I hear the summons of heaven today. And I'm not sure what this means, but I want to commit my life to intercessory prayer. Go ahead and stand right now. You don't have to. I'm a big boy. I prefer you not if you don't want this. All right. If you're standing, put your hand in your heart. I'm going to pray for you. I know we got to go. Is this okay? I'm so sorry. I didn't realize the time. Father, Oh, we care so much for this world. Father, we are moved by so many different things. And we all, in a sense today, we know our own limitations. We all know our our limited resources and energy. And there's just so many issues and problems. And we we live in a tragic age. And Lord, we're like, "What, what can we do? But Father, I thank you that we now have a fresh vision of first taking all that you put in our heart and bringing it to you in petition. Lord, we thank you that as we agree with you, Lord, you do something that would absolutely astonish us. So I thank you that you would come and you would bring a fresh life, a renewed heart for intercessory prayer. Lord, I just sense you're doing a unique thing today. This is not a thing you've done for a while. A unique deposit is taking place in Capital Church today. Lord, I think you're changing us. You're changing our perspective, maybe even our fundamental worldview. Lord, we're beginning to see this world, this cosmos in a relational way. And Lord, I think you're seeing, we are beginning to see that our vocation is to be intercessors and to come in agreement with heaven and the plan and the dreams of heaven for our world. And we just right now, with our hands on our heart, we say yes to you, King Jesus. Do what you want to do right now in this unique moment. This is a holy moment. We receive the impartation of the Holy Spirit. And we commit, we commit to gathering with people and taking our frustrations and what moves us and our our pain and our suffering and all the different things that make us tick. And we're going to bring it to you. And we're going to believe that God, you're going to throw down fire on creation. And we're going to see extraordinary, miraculous works in our lives day and everyone said amen. amen can you give god a hand thank you for joining us today if you'd like to give towards this ministry learn more about our church and events or are in need of prayer please visit capitalchurch.co